Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We ask that you would uh, teach us and uh, speak to our hearts. Meet the needs of our heart, Lord. Open our eyes to your truth. May your blessing be upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. My wife has provided me with a bottle of water here. Uh, it's common when people get up in front of other people like this that nervousness dries the mouth out. <laughs> I well remember the day, or night actually, years ago in Indonesia, I got up to play my cornet before a large gathering of people. A cornet, that's uh, like a trumpet. Have you ever tried to play a horn with a dry mouth? You, you can't. You can't. <laughs> By the time I was done, in utter humiliation with my tail between my legs, <laughs> I felt like getting out of there. <laughs> that was a horrible experience. Anyway, uh, I've been asked to speak on a subject that I'm not acquainted with really, really well. Union with Christ. So this has been a, a burden on me because I know so little about it and yet a great blessing to me because I've discovered it's a tremendous subject and uh, one that we all desperately need to understand. Heavy assignment. Uh, and so you should probably consider these three sessions that we're going to have as an introduction to the subject. I've never spoken on this subject and am very much an ignoramus, very much must rely on my teachers. Um, simply try to put together what I learned from them and pass on to you. Uh, one of I don't know if you've ever heard of Michael Horton, but he expressed the same thing. He said, we're very dependent on others for learning biblical truth. And uh, we stand on the shoulders of men of God who have gone before us over the last you know, 2,000 years. Um, others teach us. Paul told Timothy to remember those who had taught him. He says in 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 15, But you continue in the things you learned and became convinced of, knowing from whom you learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And I've learned much over the years uh, from men like John MacArthur, when I was uh, overseas, I discovered that John MacArthur had a library in Singapore. And so I would send off uh, to Singapore for tapes, these little cassette tapes back in those days. You remember those? And uh, they would send me six tapes at a time. And I would listen to those, record them, put a, uh, digitize them, put them on my computer, send them back, and they'd send me six more. And so, in that way, I was able to, uh, to increase my library uh, learning from John MacArthur. 
Uh, R.C. Sproul has been a big influence on me, John Piper, and many others. And for this lesson today, I've borrowed much from Pastor Dan, who helped me to gather some materials that he had on the subject that we're discussing. So I'm indebted to those who've gone before me. Um, when I received this assignment, I went back to my seminary notes to see what I could find, and that there was not much there. <laughs> there was a little bit, but I guess maybe I'm not a very good note taker, and uh, there was not much. But if you look into the subject, union with Christ, you will find that it is immense, breathtaking, and is our virtual life. It's our everything. We should be well-versed in this doctrine of union with Christ. Um, just recently, I was listening to John MacArthur, and he, he said this, and I, I, I can't even remember where I heard this, but he, it was one of his messages, and he said this, I'm not the chef, I'm just the waiter, and I hope to faithfully serve what the chef prepared. And that's it, isn't it? That's, that's what we're doing. And uh, the Lord is the chef. He's provided the truth in the scriptures. And it's for us to try to serve, be serving the truth that he has given us. In one of Pastor Dan's messages, he, at the end, included this quote that I have on your handout by Arthur Pink. He had it at the end of a sermon. I'm including it here at the beginning. I don't know if you know who Arthur Pink, he was a, uh, uh, a man of God who, uh, uh, what, a commentator. You know, he wrote in a number of books, a lot of books on the scriptures. Anyway, this is what he said, and I'm going to read it to you. You have it right there before you. The present writer, that's he himself, has not a doubt in his mind that the subject of spiritual union is the most important, the most profound, and yes, the most blessed of any that is set forth in the sacred scriptures. And yet, sad to say, there is hardly any which is now more generally neglected, the very expression spiritual union is unknown in most professing Christian circles, and even where it is employed, it is given such a protracted meaning as to take in only a fragment of this precious truth. Now, I understand the general gist of what he is saying here. I do have one homework assignment for you, and that is help me to understand the word protracted here. Do you, do you understand that? Uh, it says here, even where it is employed, that is the term spiritual union, it is given such a protracted meaning as to take in only a fragment of this precious truth. I'm wondering if Pink meant to use an antonym for protracted. Do you know what protracted means? It means extensive, large. And I'm wondering if he meant abbreviated. Some of you linguists, maybe you could help me. <laughs> maybe I'm missing something here. 
But I get the idea. I, I understand Pink's point. And that is that union with Christ is not largely understood among Christians. Pastor Dan says this, I quote, God has made us fabulously wealthy in Christ. So many people live like spiritual paupers and don't know how rich we are, unquote. And I'm finding that in dealing with this subject, that's true. This is a critical, important doctrine. But where do you begin in dealing with it? I know it begins in eternity past, before the creation of the universe, and we will eventually discuss that, but I have cast my lot to starting with Adam, our forefather. And if I had to give a title to this, I would call it what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. I want to begin by looking at what the Apostle Paul taught in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. Pastor Dan, in his series on Romans, gave two messages on this passage. I'm drawing heavily on what we learn from those messages. The Bible speaks of mankind being in union with Adam and in union with Christ. There are similarities, there are differences in those two unions. I think it will be helpful to understand union with Christ if we also understand union with Adam. Just a little bit about the background of chapter 5, Romans chapter 5. Paul's been talking about being justified by faith in Jesus Christ. He's used the example of Abraham in chapter 4 of Romans. Abraham was justified because he believed God. Uh, and Paul says in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then in verses 12 to 21, he gets into the details of how our salvation was accomplished. Now, we're going to be doing some heavy sledding here. Uh, we're dealing with, you know things that are, in some ways, hard to understand. Concerning this passage, John MacArthur says this, As far as complete human comprehension is concerned, the truths of this passage are beyond reach. But on the other hand, the truths themselves are wonderfully simple and clear when accepted in humble faith as God's word. So, that's un unquote. So I say, I would say, I take it that what John MacArthur is saying is that we can, we can get, understand the basics of what Paul is saying, even if some of the details may be a bit mysterious to us and escape us. So let's begin with verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Death in Adam. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the, into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So I want to take this apart piece by piece so that we understand. 
It says through one man. Who's the one man? Adam. Through one man. Paul has not even mentioned Adam up to this point in the book. But we all know who he is talking about. This is Adam, the first man. Through him, sin entered the world. Paul is going to show us something tremendous about Christ. And to do that, he is pointing out first how we got into such big trouble. Through the first man, Adam. Can the act of one individual have such worldwide consequences? Can one man have such an effect upon the whole world? What did Adam do? He disobeyed the one rule that God gave him. He sinned. So with that one sin, sin entered the world. And the result, Paul says, was death that spread to all men. Why? The verse says, because all sinned. Who is the all? That's you and me. We're included in the all. When did we sin? He just told us. Through one man, sin entered into the world. When Adam sinned, guess who else sinned? All people. You and me. All people descended from Adam. God made him our representative, and when he sinned, we sinned. When I was preparing this, I was watching a video on the subject. This is on YouTube, and at the bottom, of course, they have people that make comments. And one man, right off the bat, said, I didn't choose Adam to be my representative. Yeah, right, he didn't. <laughs> Adam was chosen long before he came along. Listen to what R.C. Sproul says about that. This is not ex necessarily an exact quote. This is just the gist of what Sproul said. We want to be accurately represented. And uh, I think that's quite uh, practical in our day today. Uh, we want to be right, properly represented in Congress by our political representatives and uh, we're chagrined when we're not accurately represented. God appointed our representative. This was the only time in history where you were perfectly represented. The representative God chose was a righteous choice by a perfectly holy being, as God, done on the basis of his perfect knowledge, who knew you and your representative perfectly. We can't say we were misrepresented. Adam represented us flawlessly. And the corrupt nature of the human race is the result. The punishment for the sin of Adam, our representative. We all sinned when Adam sinned. We sinned in Adam. 
This corruption of our nature is what is known as original sin. And I need to make this clear that when theologians talk about original sin, they're not talking about the first sin when Adam disobeyed. They're talking about the result of that first sin. That's the corruption of our nature. That's what theologians term original sin. So if you hear of original sin, it's not Adam's first sin, but it's the result of that sin. Original sin, the corruption of our nature, was the result or punishment for Adam's sin. Um, John MacArthur says that original sin is the inherent propensity to unrighteousness. It's that propensity within our soul to disobey God. We inherit this corruption because when Adam sinned, we all sinned. He was our representative, and when he sinned, we sinned. When did we sin? When he sinned. <laughs> this is why everyone dies. We all sinned. The reason you and I do sins, acts of sin, is because we are sinners. That little baby that you have, just born, is in Adam, his representative. That baby is going to do acts of sin because he is a sinner, like Adam. That is what this verse means when it says, so death spread to all men because all sinned. We sinned in our representative, Adam. That's what the Bible teaches. Now don't get bent all out of shape over this. This principle of being represented by Adam, this principle of imputation, and we'll talk about that a little bit, is our only hope. This principle is our only hope. We're given an example of this in the scriptures. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 10, talks about Melchizedek, that Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, and in so doing, so did his great-grandson Levi. The author is showing that the Melchizedek Melchizedekian priesthood is higher than that of Levi. Levi, uh, the Mosaic law. Levi gave tithes in Abraham to Melchizedek. That's what the author is pointing out. Our hope is in Christ. And he is our only hope. And Paul is heading there. He's getting us there as he's teaching us. But to get there, he is pointing out this whole issue of rep representation or imputation. Just as our great calamity came through our union with Adam, so our salvation is going to come in the same way through our union, <coughs> excuse me, through our union with another representative. Through imputation as well. And John MacArthur says I quote, if the principle were not true that all sinned in Adam, it would be impossible to make the point that all can be made righteous in Christ, unquote. So this principle of representation, imputation, 
it's true on the one case, in the one hand, that, that's, that's the reason we die. That's the reason we're called sinners. That's, that's, that's where our guilt is. And yet, at the same time, this is going to be the reason that we can be saved and have hope. Imputation has been challenged by the critics. Roman Catholics have opposed it, calling it a legal fiction. People, in essence, want to make salvation dependent on our moral purity. They want to hold hell over your head to keep you in line morally. They think if they don't, people will simply use salvation in Christ as a ticket to sin. But we need to stop and consider. Do you want to stand before God dressed in your own moral purity? Your own righteousness? Your own moral rags would be a better term. No one would come close to being accepted. No one would be justified. None. If that was the basis. If imputation is not true, why do babies even in the womb die? They've done no moral wrong yet. R.C. Sproul goes on into this in some detail, but the point is that death indicates that Adam's sin was imputed to his entire race. But where we lost everything in Adam... We gain everything in Christ and far more. If there is no imputation, then we're in deep trouble. No hope. Paul is describing the inner workings of our salvation. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So let's look at imputation a little bit. Pastor Dan says it means uh, counting or reckoning. It's a very important doctrine. Imputed sin through Adam, imputed righteousness through Christ. Imputation is to charge or to reckon something to one's account. If somebody wires $10,000 to your account, or they, what, I, I, what, what's this new thing they've got, Zelle, or something like that, you know, and it's sent to your account, that $10,000 is imputed to your account. It's reckoned. It's put on the ledger in your account that you have this money in your account. This Principle is essential to the gospel. We don't bring our own righteousness. Why? We don't have any. It's impossible. We don't have any righteousness. Righteousness is imputed to us. It's credited to our account. There is a righteousness, Pastor Dan says, that you desperately need, don't have, and can't earn. <laughs> yes, we desperately need and can't earn. 
So we're in serious trouble. The righteousness we need is imputed to the sinner. God takes the perfect righteousness of Jesus and puts it on the ledger of the sinner. In God's eyes, we have in our account Christ's perfect righteousness. We still sin. We are at once righteous and still commit acts of sin as long as we're in this body. In Adam, sin was imputed to us. In Christ, his righteousness is imputed to the believer. If you go down through chapter 5 here, in the following verses, you will see the issue referred to over and over. It's like Paul really wants to embed this in our heart. Notice in verse 15, it says, For if by the transgression of the one, the many died. So here's the one transgression, one man. He disobeys, everybody dies. This is the imputation thing. Verse 16, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. Verse 17, if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one. Everybody dies. Because why? The transgression of the one. Verse 18, so then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. One sin, condemnation for everybody. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So Paul's trying to make it clear, and I think it is clear. It's clear. This all happened way before we existed, way before we were born. We are condemned because we sinned in our representative, Adam. When he sinned, we sinned, even though we weren't there. So what can we do about it? We can't. There is no way out. Of the Gentiles, Paul said, having no hope, Without God in the world. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12. No hope, no way out. But not absolutely no way out. (laughs) That's the good news. Not absolutely no way. No way unless God does something for us. And with God all things are possible. And he made the way. What we've been talking about is our union with Adam and its result. And because, but because of God's great love and mercy to us, there is more to the story. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 45 says, So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Here we read of the first man, Adam. He was the first by order of creation. But he's also the first man, first representative of mankind. 
A couple verses later in First Corinthians fifteen forty-seven, we read: "The first man is from the earth, earthy; the second man is from heaven." This talks about a first man and a second man. In these verses, Paul is explaining the inner workings of the gospel. He explains who we are, what kind of situation we are in, and what God has done to rescue us from that impossible situation. Pastor Dan puts it this way. Adam's guilt before God became my guilt before God. This is the most fundamental problem that the gospel must resolve, and it does. Unquote. Death spread to all men because all sinned. When Adam took the bite of forbidden fruit, who took the bite? All of us did. In Adam, in our representative, he was our representative. Now get this important point because it's going to be, it's going to be true the other way when we're talking about the gospel. All sinned when? In Eden. And this is what we know as, as imputation. It doesn't say all sin, but all sinned. When he did, we did. God reckons Adam's sin to my account. And so I'm in a hopeless situation. I can't fix this. We all do acts of sin, actual sin, but the imputation of Adam's sin to us is sufficient grounds for God to condemn the world but when he sends Christ to be my representative, everything changes. The guilt of my sin is paid for by his death and suffering the wrath of God in my place. And the righteousness that I need, which is perfection, and I don't have, but Christ has, is considered mine, imputed to me, reckoned to my account, to our account to those who believe in Christ. Sin is a universal problem, but there is a Redeemer that is a greater representative than that first man. Pastor Dan points out that at the end of verse 12, Paul seems to lose his train of thought. He seems to suddenly realize the reader may not understand, so he stops to explain things in some detail. But if you go right from verse 12 to verse 17, it's like it's a seamless flow of thought. I want to go on, though, the, to verses 13 and 14, and, and, and this is a letter B in your notes. History proves the veracity of imputed sin. Verses 13 and 14 read this way. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the trespass of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So let's try to understand this briefly. Between Adam and Moses, there was no law. That is not to say that people did not have a conscience, having the law written on their heart. But it had not been expressly given. Adam had been given a law and disobeyed. Therefore, sin was imputed to him, counted against him. All his descendants had disobeyed in him. Therefore, we see that death reigned even before the law came. That is, before Moses. 
People were dying everywhere. Right here in our own passage, Paul has said, Therefore, in verse 12, Just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. There was death everywhere. So it showed that they were all sinners. Paul says in verse 14, Death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the trespass of Adam. They had not sinned expressly uh, disobeying a certain law that God gave. Adam did that, and they did that in Adam, just as we did it in Adam. Their sins were not exactly like Adam's, but they had sinned in Adam. They were outside the Garden of Eden. They couldn't go and eat that fruit like Adam did. The one law given to Adam could not be repeated. But when Adam sinned, they all sinned, and his depraved nature was passed on to them as well. Now, this is a bit sticky, and hopefully you could still stay with me on this. Paul is quite detailed in uh, discussing this because he wants us to understand Verse 14 says that Adam was a type of him who was to come. The first Adam is a type of the last Adam. A picture of the last Adam. Because Adam sinned, all sinned. But the type comes nowhere close to the greatness and blessing of the anti-type, Jesus Christ. Jesus, like Adam, would be the representative of his people. That is, those who would believe in him. But he was going to turn things completely around. Sin would be imputed. Our sin would be imputed to him. He would be judged for our sin so that his people could be pardoned. So that he could redeem sinners. So that he could impute to them His own righteousness. Our sin imputed to him. He dies in our place. His total righteousness imputed to the sinner. Giving them life. His own life. Which is a new heart that produces fruits of righteousness in their lives. An amazing reversal. And then in verses... um, 15 to 17, we see the life-giving anti-type, that is, Christ. Our, the last Adam, or called the second man in the scriptures. The second representative. So let me just read this. I'll read this and then we'll discuss this just a little bit. Verse 15, but the gracious gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the gracious gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. 
For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Paul's trying to get us to understand something here. (laughs) Note that what Adam did brought sin to all and death because of sin. The grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, did not just put all believers back to square one. That gift in the face of countless sins that we have committed, not just Adam's sin that we're guilty of, but all the multitude of sins that we've committed. That grace, bring, uh, due to that grace, God gives us justification. He covers that. Our representative covered that when he died in our place. God's grace is greater than Adam's sin that we inherited, plus greater than all the sins that we've committed. That means all is forgiven, and believing sinners are declared righteous, With the righteousness of Christ. It is imputed to them. Just as Adam's sin was put on our ledger, Christ's righteousness is put on our ledger. Amazing. To keep things clear, Adam's sin was imputed universally to all his descendants. He was our representative. In the gospel, God sends his own son to live a perfect life who was well-pleasing to the Father several times in the New Testament says that he was pleasing to the Father. He obeyed God in all things, even to dying for the sins of the world. Uh, 1 John 2.2 2. By paying the price of our sin, suffering God's righteous anger for our sin in our place, and living a totally righteous life, he is more than able to rescue his people from their impossible situation. He is the one put forward by God the Father to be the last Adam, to be our representative that could provide pardon for sin and impute righteousness, his own righteousness, to his people. Adam's sin was imputed to us. Christ's righteousness is imputed to all who put their hope in him, who believe in him. This last Adam is a much greater representative and able to totally undo the disaster that befell us through the first Adam And give us so much more. Pastor Dan says we need a representative who had the authority to save us. Did God provide a representative that had authority? 1 Corinthians 15, 47. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. Note that the second man is from heaven. God himself. All authority. Note also that Adam could only leave us in death. John MacArthur says it's one-dimensional. Adam just left us in one state, dead. The gift is life. From the second Adam, we get life. His life, Christ's life. The life of God. And MacArthur says multidimensional. When you get life, God's life, Christ's life, it's multidimensional, abundant life, a changed heart, a changed me, a fruitful life, righteous living that pleases God. 
In verse 17 of Romans 5, what we've just read, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. We reign in life. He gives us life. Do you remember what Jesus said to Martha? He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in, be, in me will never die. Formerly dead in sin, now alive. Yes, these bodies will die, but as far as Jesus was concerned, no more death. Just getting rid of this body that's, you know, <laughs> with its corrupt nature. That's what we are experiencing right now. And we're having a, a, a great war against our own selves, aren't we? Within ourselves. And then Paul talks about that in Romans 7. Now a relationship with God, and not just a relationship, but as we are going to see, union with God. And when you are in union with God, the sky is the limit. And we're going to look into that a little bit in the weeks that come. But God has provided us with an amazing representative, Jesus Christ. And uh, I think it's far more than what we really realize, you know. And we're going to see some of that. In summation, Paul says this in verses 18 and 19, Romans 5, 18 and 19. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were appointed sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be appointed righteous. And then in verses, uh, the following verses, 20 and 21. Now the law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. In other words, when Moses was given the law, it's like God took the cover off our, the cesspool. Um, the cover was taken off and exposed the great evil of the world. Sin exploded. The law showed how vast was our sin. And you know, the law even makes a, an, the unregenerate heart want to sin. Have you noticed that with your kids? All you have to do is say, don't touch this. And what do they want to do right away? Yeah, that's what the law does. It just, it just, it just reveals the rebellious heart. The law showed how vast was our sin. But in spite of that, in spite of all this sin... God's grace in Christ was even greater and was powerful enough to cover all our sin. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How could we ever hope to earn forgiveness, earn righteousness? You know, and that's, that's exactly what the world's trying to do. All religions are trying to earn their way. <laughs> totally, totally hopeless situation. 
there is no earning righteousness. How could we ever cover our sin in God's sight? Utterly impossible. As Paul said of the Gentiles, they were without hope and without God in the world. Paul says the just shall live by faith. We trust in Christ. We put all our hope in him. His grace covers those who trust in him. It is Christ who lived a perfect life pleasing to the Father. It is Christ who did his Father's will and went to the cross and bore the wrath of God in our place for our sin, paid the eternal debt we could never pay, paid it in our place. It is only in Christ that there is pardon for sin, that there is imputation of his righteousness to our account. We are accepted by God the Father because of our union with Christ. We are at one time, we were at one time in Adam, headed for hell. By faith in Christ, we are now in Christ, who gives us pardon, his own righteousness, his own eternal life. He is the representative that you want and you need. What Christ did, God considers we did. He's our representative. His righteousness, God considers, we did that righteousness. Perfect. (laughs) As impossible as that seems. He's our representative. Adam was our representative. And in him, what? We're sinners. Christ is now our representative. And he was totally pleasing. Totally pleasing to the Father. And that's the way God considers us. You know? Dying with him on the cross. You know, the whole thing. He becomes our representative. Everything about him, that's about us. It's amazing. It's amazing. I felt like we needed to get a grip on our union with Adam to help us get an understanding and a background on our union and need of our union with Christ. When we put our hope and trust in Christ, all our unrighteousness is paid in full, and all his righteousness is considered ours. Now, before I close, I want to nail this into your heart (laughs) with a quote from R.C. Sproul. And I hope that this helps you to understand and to, uh, to remember these truths. Very short. He said this, Ultimately, we are saved by good works. Ultimately, it's good works. Not ours, Christ. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, you know, it's just amazing. Uh, what a representative. Uh, let's give thanks to the Lord for his abundant mercy and kindness to us. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for what you have done for us in sending your son to be our representative, to be the last Adam, the representative that could undo all that that was done by the first Adam and provide us with so much more. Help us to understand more and more uh, your great blessing of salvation to us by the imputation of Jesus Christ to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.